Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. It is great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. I have a question for you. Have you ever made a grand gesture of love towards someone just to remind them that you love them? Maybe it's your spouse or a significant other. Maybe it's your mom and dad or just a close friend, but just just a reminder that you love them and that you care for them. Something um, out of the ordinary. It could be anything as, as something from something as simple as, as giving someone flowers, right? Just out of the blue, giving your wife flowers, or it could be just planning a special dinner or making a special dinner or, or, or taking a trip, planning a special trip, or, or if you're feeling really sassy, just showing up with a car one day and say, I love you. I know you were looking at this the other day and you want it. I don't know anybody in my world that could just do that, but that's okay. It, I, I hear but I hear that it happens. So but the idea there is simple. The idea is is reminding those we love that we love them through some grand extra ab- above the normal or outside the normal gesture. One of those things that's kind of a stereotypical, right, is kind of the idea of of bringing your wife a gift out of nowhere, bringing her candy or bringing her flowers. It's something that I guess as a husband, I kind of kind of figured when I got married, that was just kind of the norm. You just kind of do that. But I have to tell you, um, I'm really bad at that. Particularly this giving out flowers thing, um, just remembering to give my wife flowers. But I think that's, I think I don't for, for two reasons. One, um, I, I've been with Heather long enough to know that's not her love language. Gifts are not her love language. Um, she would much rather I spend time with her every day just kind of talking either about the things of God or about our kids or, or just going somewhere with her, even if it's just to Walmart, that we are able to be together doing something, that, that quality time. It's also serving her. She appreciates it very much and, and is reminded that I love her when I go the extra mile to kind of help her with what she's got going on, either you know in our home and, and or um, just with her work or, or just fixing something that she's asked me to fix and doing it in a timely manner because it demonstrates that I care, right? So I don't, she's not big on gifts, and, and, and going over the top and spending money and, and all of those things. But there is another reason in particular about this flower thing or this bouquet of roses thing. Um, early on in our marriage, Heather, I don't even remember how the conversation started, but I sure remember how it ended. <laughs> Heather made it very, very clear to me that if I thought that if I did something wrong, if I did something that would get me in trouble or in the doghouse, that showing up with flowers or candy or some type of, of special thing, this extra grand gesture, wasn't, was not going to be enough. <laughs> it was not going to absolve me of everything I had done wrong. There's no way to make up for that because those are two very different things, right? One is a, is just this outward expression of love that, that comes from the heart for sure. But what's more important to her, and the truth is, I think more important to most of us in a genuine, deep relationship is that 
ongoing connection that we have with one another. It's that love that we show each other throughout the day in those little things. So back to this flower thing, she made it really clear that that almost almost kind of what I heard, maybe not what she said, but what I heard, you know how that happens, was if you bring me flowers out of the blue, I might assume you've done something stupid. <laughs> or I might assume you're trying to butter me up for something you want. And so I kind of decided I don't ever want her thinking that. <laughs> I don't want her thinking that. And so maybe it's an excuse and it may be a lame one, but but I don't bring her flowers. I don't because I never want to plant that seed in her mind that I've done something dumb that I'm trying to make up for. Because doing so, trying to make up for a mistake or to butter somebody up or to just try to overcome issues. If it's just the gesture and it lacks the follow-up or the follow-through, then honestly the gesture itself is of little value. It's a bit like having an ice cream sundae and and the gesture, that grand gesture being that cherry on the top. If there's no sundae, it's just a chewy piece of wax that Stays in your belly for 30 days, by the way. But, but that's what it is. It is of so little value without the rest, without the rest of the relationship. We are in, um, to shift gears, we're kind of, we're in a, uh, our series. It's called, Why Am I Here? As we're kind of trying to explore purpose, purpose and meaning in life, because we all intrinsically know we have a purpose, and we try to seek it. We try to find it, most of us, throughout our entire lives when the reality is our purpose is God. God made us on purpose for his purpose. And when we discover that, when we embrace that and try to say, God, I don't know what you've got set out before me, but I know that it is grander than anything I could come up with and embrace that, then that is when we truly find purpose in life. And then last week we talked about learning to trust God and his purposes. And we kind of zeroed in on the notion that even we as followers of Christ, we we trust God with our eternity, right? We claim to trust him implicitly with our eternity, but we really continue to struggle to trust him with our now. We still feel like we have to be in control of our now. When the reality is our eternity with him has already begun. And really, at the end of the day, it's all the same time and shouldn't it be treated the same way. If we can trust him with forever, we can certainly trust him with now. And we've been doing all that through the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of the writer, the writings of King Solomon, one of the wisest and richest men to ever live, and asking ourselves, how did he get to this place where at the end of his days he's saying, everything I did that wasn't about God was meaningless. It was futile. It lacked no purpose. How did he get to this place? But this week, we're going to kind of step back out of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to step back into the book of First Kings. Why? Well, because I, I think it's important this week as we talk about finding our purpose in honoring God. Title, 
quotes. That's what it is. That's the goal. <laughs> Finding our purpose and honoring God. I think it's important that we understand how Solomon got to the place where he ended up saying everything is futile. Where did he go sideways? Because remember, he is the the last king of a united Israel. He has everything that he could have ever wanted. And the truth is God has provided him with all of those things. He's provided him with wisdom and wealth and peace. And, and God has been faithful and God has been present and God has been all over this man's life. But somewhere he went sideways. And so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 today. Just bits and pieces as we kind of go through some of the places where he kind of lost focus on what really mattered. And can I tell you a secret? It has something to do with these grand gestures and the place and the role that they played in his faith and his life. All right, so let's let's talk about that. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 6. As we get into 1 Kings, um, we're setting the tone here. Solomon is about to embark upon the building of God's temple. It would later be known as Solomon's temple, a grand, grand, grand building. It's designed to show off who their God is. Let's, let's see, hear how he describes it in chapter 6. It says this, Solomon began to build the temple for the Lord in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt. In the fourth year of his reign, over Israel in the month of Ziv, which was the second month, the temple that King Solomon built for the Lord, ready for this big old building? This, this building was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's more than a four-story building. The portico, which is the, the entryway in front of the temple, and the portico in front of the temple sanctuary was 30 feet long, extending across the temple's entire width. So it was 30 by 30, and it was 15 feet deep. So it was 30 by 15. 30 by 15. Just That's just the front porch was 30 by 15. The front porch. And it was in front of the temple, and he also made windows with beveled, beveled frames in the temple. He then goes through a description of the structure, how they, they inlaid the, the inner sanctum with gold, and how they, they built... They, they, harvested these massive cedar cedar pilings and pillars from from Lebanon and how they they laid the floor carefully and they carefully carved out all of the stone and they made the adornments the 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 cherubim up above the sanctuary 15 feet high this this amazing incredible thing that they built all in honor of God right this grand gesture, which again comes from a place of loyalty. If you if we were to read through his entire speech, he is excited in 1 Kings 8. He he says, look, look at what you've done here, God. Look at what we're showing you. Look at this is amazing and all the glory goes to you, right? All the glory goes to you, God, for what we've done. We know that you are with us. We know that you are going to reside with us. And we have invested all of this. We've made this grand gesture towards you. Again, a beautiful thing that comes from the heart. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this as he's building it, God says to him in 1 Kings chapter 7, 
or chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, he says this. He says, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. So God's coming to talk to him. And he says, as for the temple you are building, if you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep my commands by walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. And I will dwell among the Israelites and not be abandoned and not abandon my people Israel. Solomon is in the midst of this, this grand gesture, right? And, and the Lord's counsel isn't, go Solomon, keep it up. Go Solomon, build it bigger. Go Solomon, make, be amazing. His call is to dial back. And instead of saying, pour more into the grand gesture, he challenges him directly and says, how about this? You're building this temple. That's, that's all well and good and it's wonderful. And I'm pleased and I'm glad you're fulfilling the prophecy and the goals I had set out for you. But you, if you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances and keep my commands by walking in them. He dials it back and says, the grand gesture is wonderful. But what I'm calling you to is more than a grand gesture. It is a, a life and a relationship of us walking together. Not just in this one time or this one instance or this one part of the week, but all the time. The problem here that, that I really think Solomon's struggling with is, is this, is this kind of grand gesture mentality, the same as if I, I convinced myself that handing my wife roses once in a while, making a grand gesture would, would, would make things okay. I think he's done the same thing. I think he, he is really believing that as he's built all of these grand gestures and he's doing these incredible things that are public and, and stating how much he loves the Lord and how much his people will love the Lord and what the Lord's going to do, as much as that's wonderful, thinking that that's a substitute for walking in his statutes, following his, his ordinances, doing what he's asking you to do each and every day. He's convinced himself. It allows him to believe, Solomon allows himself to believe that he is in a great place with God when really he's continuing to live for himself. Those grand gestures allow him to feel guiltless in it. How do I know he was continuing to live, live for himself? We, we talked uh, last week and probably the week before too about how many different wives and, and concubines he had and how much wealth he pursued. Um, but but let's, let's just look at his house, right? Look at his house. His house was being built about the same time as the temple. The temple took seven years to complete. And remember, it was, it was 90 by 30, the building was, the main temple, and 45 feet high. And took seven years, and it was one massive structure. But in, in 1 Kings chapter 7, at the beginning of it, we get this description, this really interesting description of not of Solomon's palace, but his palace complex. Let's listen to this. Again, built about the same time with the same resources. It says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Solomon's, Solomon completed his entire complex after 13 years of construction. He put seven into God's and 13 into his. You know, maybe it was because 
he was putting more of his resources into God's temple, right? He was building God's temple huge and wonderful and glorified. And so it just took him longer. He had to slow down and he had to wait. So verse two, he says, he built the house of the forest of Lebanon, which by the way, is not his palace. We'll find out that in a minute. It says he built the house of the forest of Lebanon. It was 150 feet long. Temple was 90 and 45 feet high, and 70 feet wide. So, hey, if you look at his house and the temple, they're equal height, right? They're not, he didn't build his house taller than God's, right? Because you, you wouldn't want to do that. That would look bad if you're claiming to follow God. But it's two and a half times the width and almost double the length, okay? With cedar beams on top of the pillars, it was paneled above the cedar with the top of the chambers and rested on 45 pillars, 15 per row. And he begins to describe it. And one of the things that I found really, really interesting is where he describes the stones, the stones being cut for his palace, or in this case, the house of the forests of Lebanon, which by the way, is like the palace before the palace. It's part of the complex. You see Solomon built over this 13 year period, not just his own palace, which was similar in construction, but also this house of Lebanon, this pre-palace, this entryway, this greeting space that was designed really for one purpose, and that's to show off what he had done. It's to show off his wealth and his wisdom. But he also built a palace for Pharaoh's daughter in this time, also of similar construction. All the while, singing the praises of what he's doing for God. You see the disconnect? He's invested, yes, a wonderful amount and a beautiful gesture in reminding others and himself and trying to remind God that he loves him. He's in a relationship with him, that they're connected, that he's following in his will and doing what he wants him to do. But all the while, the other time, the rest of the time that he's not working on the temple, he's putting in nearly twice the resources, spending twice the time, and building three times the number of structures for his own benefit. And so, and so there's, there's the disconnect there, right? The, the disconnect in the relationship that he has with God is he's convinced himself that this, this grand gesture essentially is good. It's all that God wants in a relationship with him where I, I think we've pretty clearly established at least with me and, and my wife or me and those that are important to me, a genuine relationship is far more than just one grand gesture. I think we do that in our faith too, right? We, we come to this moment where we, we first are saved by the Lord. We confess our faith in him. We confess our sins. We hear and we believe. We confess and repent of our sins. And we say, Lord, Lord God, I need you to be my savior. And we make him our savior. We put him on as Christ. And then we have this, this other public grand gesture, right? Where we kind of outwardly express our inward commitment, that, that, that baptism by immersion that we, we are dunked under the water three times, that, that is to, to show the world that we love the Lord. That is, that is our public statement that we love him. 
Those, those, those are the kind of grand moments that, that define our faith, the kickoff of our faith in some ways. And, and in some ways, you know, we historically do this almost almost weekly where we kind of, we say, okay, I'm going to church on Sunday. And we make church this gesture, this, this special thing that we do, we do once a week. And we do it as a gesture unto God. And you know what? We tithe. We tithe to the Lord. We do that as well. We make this sacrifice in his name so that his work can go forward. Not because he needs our money. He doesn't. But because we love him. Because we honor him. Because we trust him. Again, those are wonderful honoring things that all come from all the right places. But if that's all there is to the relationship... then is there really a relationship? If that's all there is to it, then gestures like that, they're a bit like the Sunday, the cherry without the Sunday. They really don't have a whole lot of value in and of themselves. In fact, if you had had to ask me to pick, if I personally was picking on my hot fudge Sunday, to just have the cherry or just have the sundae, which one am I taking? Newsflash, ice cream, every time. I'm taking the sundae. And the truth is if, if God had to choose, and by the way, he shouldn't have to, uh, I don't know, would he, would he just take the sundae? Would he just take the day-to-day walk and the day-to-day relationship over the grand gesture? Again, I don't think he has to make that choice because he is God. He is God. And our, but our, our, our big question that each of us, I think that Solomon really never bothered to address until near the end of his life where we read in Ecclesiastes. And again, I would encourage you to read that this week, the whole book, if you can. But he's, he's remembering the mistakes he's made. He did not recognize until the end of his days where he had gone off the tracks. And he writes it so that others who come behind him don't do the same. Our big question for today that he was struggling with and I think we struggle with too is this. Is my relationship with God mostly defined by grand gestures or by living daily in a way that honors him? If we go a little further into our text, if we go to 1 Kings chapter 9, Solomon has just spent all of chapter 8 kind of reading off this incredible, incredible dedication and blessing of where he's singing the praises and he's, he's gathered basically the entire nation to watch this all be consecrated. And he's singing the praises of God and they are offering sacrifices and they are offering these eloquent, beautiful prayers. Again, all heartfelt, all wonderful, all extolling the value and the glory and the power of God. These are amazing things. Read them. I'm telling you, read 1 Kings chapter 8. You can hear his voice as he's praising God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then to get to the end of chapter 8, God shows back up. In chapter 9, we see the Lord's response. He says in verse 1, When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all that Solomon desired to do, when he'd gotten done what he wanted to get done, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. Remember the first time? The second time, just as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition and you that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple that you have built. 
to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. I, I see what you've done for me and I appreciate it. I appreciate it and I will fulfill my commitment to you because I understand the place from which this, which this grand gesture came. And then he says again, as he said before, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked with a heart of integrity and in what, in doing, and in what is right, doing everything that I have commanded you, if you keep my statutes and my ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. God almost ignores the grand gestures and says, let's talk about what this, what this is really about. And, and what it's really about is walking as God would have him walk, doing what God would have him do. And challenging him to say, you know, Solomon, this is wonderful, but if your faith is merely defined by these gestures, kind of missing the point. And so what does he ask him to do? And how do I know that, that he was off the rails on this? Look at the rest of his life. Outside of these moments, these grand gesture moments, not much of the rest of Solomon's life looks like how God would want it. But he challenges him here with some basic things. He challenges him here to live with integrity and to do what is right. That word integrity, it's, it's a, it shows up 24 times in the Old Testament. Most of the time, that's what it's translated as integrity, but it's also translated in Isaiah 47 as full measure, right? Walk fully in me when he says, do, it, do this, live with a heart of integrity, live with a heart that is fully focused on me, that is in fully in focus of me. It might, might sound like the great commandment, right? The greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, Right? giving all of who he is to God, this notion of integrity. That's, that's important for us to understand because it's really easy to, in the moment of a grand gesture, right? In the moment of, let's say, coming to church on Sunday and you're, you're in the moment and you're, you're hearing a song and you're singing the words and it's, it's moving your heart and it's convicting you. And you, in that moment in time, you believe with all of who you are that you are connected to the Lord and you are doing his will and you are excited and humbled to be here. And maybe by the grace of God, you're hearing the word of God and saying the same thing, right? That, that I'm convicted. I'm convicted to do what God wants me to do. I'm convicted to be the person he wants me to be. You know what? That is amazing. But if one of my challenges, one of my difficulties as a human being is that I have anger issues and I'm convicted of those anger issues in a Sunday morning service, but by Sunday evening, I'm yelling at my family again. Or I'm going to work on Monday frustrated and taking it out on people. Yeah, I'm living a life where I love the Lord, but I am not living a life of integrity in Him, of fullness and full commitment to Him. See, Solomon, I think, fall, fell into the trap that I think a lot of us do. He liked the idea of changing. But the, the, the actual stepping into what God is calling him to, changing in his day-to-day -day life, allowing the Spirit of God to transform him, to guide his steps, 
to be a light into his path, right? That was where the rubber met the road, and that's where Solomon really kind of struggled. Because he really competed with his own desire to honor God, genuine desire, and his desire in many ways to elevate himself, to invest in himself. You know, Jesus gives us some pretty pretty good advice on the problem with serving two masters, right? You can't serve one and love the other. And ultimately, honoring God means allowing ourselves to be less so that he can be more, right? John the Baptist's words. Allowing ourselves to be less so that he can be more. It means doing what he's asking us to do and walking with conviction. That conviction turns into action. Conviction on Sunday is action on Monday. Conviction on Tuesday morning when you're reading your Bible studies. Conviction is action on Thursday afternoon when you have an opportunity to put it into use, right? It's not stepping away from that opportunity. Integrity means if you are willing to throw something up on Facebook to chuck garbage out there about your an opinion that is you know, I believe that God is in charge of everything and everybody needs to calm down. Well, shouldn't you calm down? <laughs> right? That's, that's believing, believing and, and acting in such a way that you're actually doing what you say you believe. It means treating others, applying the same standards to them as you apply to yourself. We're all really good at kind of Poke, especially in this political season, right, of, of poking at what's wrong with everybody else. Don't fall into that trap. I'm as busted as the next guy, and he's as busted as me. And so I have to operate with the same level of grace that I would want him to operate with me. That's where that conviction turns into action. It turns into I'm making choices every day to walk in the, in the way that God would have me walk. And yes, I'm holding myself to a standard that makes me uncomfortable at times. See, because God also asks us to do as he commands, right? That's the next thing he asks him to do. He says, live with integrity, walk with integrity and, and do what is right. But he also says, follow my commands, right? Do as God commands, even in the harder things. You know, Exodus 20, verse 13 in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not kill, right? King James. Don't kill anybody. But Jesus ups the ante and he makes it actually harder. In 1 John 3, verse 15, we see this. He says, everyone who, John says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. So he raises the bar on what it means right? On what is being called for from those who claim to follow God, following those harder commandments, raising the bar to be the people he wants them to be. Doing what he asks doesn't mean going, I like that one. I think I can handle it. But that one, I'm out. I don't think I can buy that, right? It means doing everything he's asking them to do, not just some, not just until it's uncomfortable, it means growing in our new life with Christ, knowing that he is 
leave that we are going to leave behind what was and move into what is this new life he's called us to john or paul says it this way in second corinthians 5 17 it says walk away from old habits right you kind of you walk away from the things that that you did before and you come into a new life he says you are a new life a new creation unto god it says giving away giving my will over the holy over to the holy spirit something that most of the prophets had to fight with and every human being on the planet i think has to fight with is giving over my will to god's even when it's uncomfortable and honestly even when i don't like it because if i'm being frank there are things about the scriptures commands things that he's asked me to see to do to understand and to believe that if i was rewriting the book i might write it differently but the truth is if i'm if i'm really his day in and day out that's really not an option for me i don't get to rewrite those things i'm doing as he commands and allowing his will to overtake mine and i think we have to be really really careful with that one because there is a strong desire to rewrite some of what god asks from us because honestly it makes it easier right we're all good with thou shalt not kill do not kill somebody but hating somebody let's give and take not really (laughs) there's no give and take there god says this is what it is right this is what it is hating others is not okay he draws the line there but we can find all kinds of fun ways to justify those feelings when the reality is that's not what god commanded shouldn't be an option and I don't want to make that seem easy because it sure ain't, man. <laughs> it is not easy to set aside our own will to do what God would have us do. Always and forever. And to never do it my way. Man, that even almost hurts to say. But that doesn't make it less true. And at the end of the day, it is far more demonstrative of a genuine relationship with God, of a life that honors God than simply simple grand gestures. Simply showing up to church, simply tithing, simply reading my Bible once in a while to get through it, right? This day-to-day choice that we make, and it is, it's a choice we make every day, is so difficult. But it is the place where Solomon went astray. And it is the place where we often go astray. And so as, as, you, as you leave here this week, right? I think it's important that we remind ourselves that it's okay to celebrate God in big ways. In fact, I don't think God would have it any other way. God certainly laid out a very grand gesture to demonstrate his love for us in giving up his son, Right? God honored Solomon's building of the temple and his, his completing this, this prophecy, fulfilling this prophecy and this dream that his dad had, right, of doing this for God, of establishing his place, a place he could call home to point people to him. He honored the prayers. He honored the actions he took to lift up the Lord's presence and focus in the world around him. So the grand gestures are okay. 
In fact, they're good. But to do just that and not follow him with every piece of who we are, it would be a bit like me buying God flowers uh, because I messed up and thinking <laughs> that I can just keep on keeping on because that makes us all good. And the really sad part is, if I keep that in my brain, if I continue to live life that way, I miss out on the purpose that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. I miss out on the purpose that God has defined for me and for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace.